0: It's the end, end of the world as we know it, and I feel
1: fine. That's great, it starts with an earthquake, births, snakes, and aeroplanes, yeah, many are not afraid. I have a hurricane, listen to yourself, the world, but you don't need something, give your own head, Speed it up, and I will got no excuse, the ladder for the clatter with the fear of fight down tight, fire in a fire, with the citizens the gang, to the government for in the combat site, But what wasn't coming in a hurry, be the
0: fury, to maturity, bring it down your neck. The to the problem with that low plane, fine, and by the corner the the devil, and the know, your tell me the river the the right. You think gotta bike right, feeling pretty the end of the world, it. It's the the world, as we know it. It's the the world, as we know it. I feel Welcome. To the doom and bloom hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. This is the hour of doom, the last hour in 2016 of doom.
2: (laughs) And bloom, the (laughs) last hour of 2016, and the entire 2017 will Uh, be the uh, hour uh, of of bloom. Bloom,
0: yes. Absolutely. Hey, friends and neighbors, welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, an interesting interval of intellect (laughs) in an unintelligible world.
2: That is a tongue twister, again. Uh,
0: again, yes, every week. I'm Joe Alden, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over 900 posts, videos, and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster.
2: And I'm Amy Alton, also known as Nurse Amy. Nurse Amy, Amy yes. And I'm an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife.
0: And the hostess with the mostess, absolutely, we are the watchers on the wall, and we watch it all for you to find that silver lining in all those scary storm clouds on the horizon. Friends and neighbors, have you been injured in an accident with a persnickety possum? Well, our (laughs) attorney says, don't call me, call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Of course you should, and listen to this.
2: (laughs) All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's survival medicine hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings Mm. no contract or provider patient relationship exists or is implied between the hosts and listeners dr. bones and nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available
0: Ah, but in these dangerous times dangerous you better have (laughs) some medical knowledge under your belt and some supplies if you expect to handle the emergencies that you might face in times of trouble as a matter of fact you might get some supplies From the beautiful nurse Amy's entire line of medical kits and supplies over at her store at store.doomandbloom.net. Shameless plug alert. (laughs) Well, I should have said shameless plug alert before I I, I gave the shameless (laughs) plug.
2: That was very nice of you. Thank Uh, you.
0: Hey, do you have a pearl of wisdom you're willing to share with the class? Well, of course you do. So out with it. We learn as much from you as you do from us. That's obvious. So get in touch. It's so easy. And let's let Nurse Amy here tell you how to do
2: it. Well, contact us by email at drbonespodcast at AOL.com. Find us on Facebook at our group, Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones, and Nurse Amy. We have a couple of Facebook pages, Doom and Bloom, and also Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy Show. Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: Don't forget our the YouTube channel, <laughs> right? And don't forget our YouTube channel at Dr. Bones, Nurse Amy. And follow us on Twitter at Prepper Show. Plus
2: We have lots more. <laughs> yeah, what do we have?
0: We have oh, actually we have American Survival Radio, our newest show that's in association with Genesis Communication. Talks all about the news that affects well America's survival. And of course, this podcast you're listening to right now, not only on our own channel, but also on great networks like the Prepper Broadcasting Network. The USA Emergency Broadcasting Network, Survival Central, Shake and Wake Radio, gosh, and many others. Now, that's a lot, but it it's is not a all. Lot. <laughs> Remember that you'll find, besides all the information that we have at doomandbloom.net, our three category Amazon bestseller, the Survival Medicine Handbook, the Essential Guide for When Medical Help Is Not on the Way. That is in its third edition, 700 pages, 150 topics, more stuff than you can shake a stick at. And I hope that you'll look for it at Amazon.com, or you can get an autographed copy from our website at doomandbloom.net. Now, we're going to be in a couple of places. Where are we going to be?
2: Well, we are going to drive to Huntsville, Alabama. Wow. I know, next week. I think it's going to take us a couple of days to get there from South Florida.
0: And get that it, is a but, long But we drive. are going to get into some cool weather. We really like Yay. cold weather, and so we are looking forward to the trip.
2: That is RK Prepper Shows. That right. is, again, their Huntsville, Alabama show. And it is January
0: 6th and 7th, I think. 7th mm-hmm. and 8th. The weekend here. of January 7th. <laughs> I can I'm going to tell gonna you, tell you
2: right now, I have a calendar right here. <laughs> Yes, and we are actually going to do the suture class on Sunday. Let me just take a look here. You know, time just goes by too fast. It's actually the 7th and 8th.
0: 7th and 8th. Friday okay. and Saturday. You were right.
2: And the suture class is the morning of the 8th. And you guys can sign up for that on doomandbloom.net. Go to the classes page.
0: Right now also we'll be giving free lectures and we'll be showing off our entire line of medical kits So come by, take a look, maybe get a medical kit But the most important thing is we want you to come by and say hi
2: Hello We love
0: meeting you guys and we hope that you'll come by and say hi If you are in the Huntsville, Alabama area I
2: just want to mention something else I think we're adding a show We're going to go February 18th and 19th I believe it's that weekend could be the 25th and 26th, but it's their next RK show, and that one is in Germantown.
0: Oh, Germantown,
2: okay. Tennessee. I
0: think that's near Memphis. I,
2: I think that, yeah, that's the one. We're going to go to Memphis, and then we're going to drive down to New Orleans and go to the NPS show uh-huh. on March 4th and 5th.
0: Wow, we're going to be all over the place.
2: <laughs> oh, so it it has to be February 25th and 26th.
0: That's, That's right. the other
2: one I, I haven't let them know But I'm letting you guys know first That we're going to be in Germantown
0: That's right Well I'm excited
2: about that Yeah well it's a new, new,
0: <laughs> it's a new part of the country for us So we Memphis, haven't been really yeah. in Memphis before And I hope you'll come by and see us If you're in We
2: should go early Memphis is supposed to be cool
0: Yeah well I think that There are a lot of parts of the country That are cool And we're know, going to we be seeing them. Just about every one of them <laughs> Pretty much every year So
2: I'm telling you <laughs>
0: In the news, CNN reports that a man in Berlin used a truck to plow through a group of people at a Christmas market, killing 12 and injuring 50 more. The tractor trailer rammed through several stalls at 40 miles an hour. German authorities rightly treated the incident as a terror attack, and indeed the terrorist was finally gunned down in Italy a few days later. Here's what's disturbing about all this, is the attack parallels a cargo truck killing of 86 people that actually wounded 434 others, that's amazing In Nice, France During a fireworks display on a national holiday
2: You wouldn't actually think that a truck Would be able to kill and injure That many people, that someone would have been able To stop that truck I mean, that's that's pretty shocking
0: well, they're not stopping it with their bodies That's for darn sure, wow It's amazing, also there was an incident In Ohio State, some kid ran over A bunch of people with his car Then got out and started stabbing them So what's happening here is there's some pattern that's emerging where a vehicle is being used to cause casualties in public spaces. Now, I call this vehicular terrorism. It's not new. It's been a terror method in Israel for many years, as a matter of fact, and it's not occurring by accident. The English-language ISIS magazine, Rumia, yes... ISIS has a magazine. Great. Has recently called four more vehicle attacks on the West. It even tells you what vehicles do the most damage. So it is pretty incredible. Ordinarily you'd think terror attacks are associated with bombs, but making a bomb requires a little expertise to assemble without blowing yourself up. And guns, of course, another preferred terrorist weapon. They're difficult to come by in a lot of countries other than the US. But owning and renting a vehicle, that is a piece of cake if you got some money and requires little skill to operate. Trucks and cars can cause mass casualties if you wield them as a weapon. And you want to know something? Obtaining one is an act that evokes absolutely no suspicion. So these would-be terrorists now have a new blueprint, I say, for causing mayhem among an unsuspecting public. This is a big issue. That There are very few and people... That will pay attention to traffic, for example, unless they're in a vehicle themselves or crossing the street. And the speed at which a vehicle can accelerate, turn into a crowd, leaves so little time for reaction. Wow. You can see how there's a big success, quote-unquote, rate at which a vehicle can surpass even a gunman's ability to cause deaths and injuries.
2: Oh, absolutely. Because there's only a certain rate that you can shoot a bullet. And... If people are moving around, people are maybe trying to come at you, the gunman, you may become disoriented. There is no way, and take, for instance, the Nice truck, that you would be able to kill 86 people. One person did this.
0: And injure another 400.
2: And injure another 434 people. He would literally have to be shooting for a couple hours with people not moving. Just stand still, and I'm going to try to aim at you. Because even if someone's standing still, it's not always easy to hit a target. And anyone who's actually shot a gun knows this. These trucks, I fear, have become so much more lethal and, and so easy to access. And, and like,
0: easy to operate, too. It's not Does it like- take skill? You can stay in a lane, if you can stay in a lane while driving a car, you can go right into an area where the most people are.
2: I mean, look at these terrorists who had to take the training to become pilots, and certified to become pilots in well,
0: the 9/11. Exactly. I mean, they
2: didn't get jobs at these airlines, but, you know, they they became certified. They were pilots. They knew how to fly these huge planes. with What I can only uh, envision when I get into a, a cockpit to say hello to a pilot occasionally is that there's hundreds and hundreds of switches and buttons. I mean, you really have to do training. And for a car, you know, there's some method to turn it on. There's some form of steering, usually a wheel. And then there's a gear, and then you've got to push gas or brake. I mean, that's really the whole thing for driving a car or truck. Exactly.
0: It's a piece of cake. It doesn't take a uh, rocket scientist to do it. And that now these guys have a blueprint by which they can really cause a lot of damage no matter where they are. I mean, even if they're in a country where there are indeed no f- guns physically in the country, they can still cause mass Right. So casualties. this whole
2: whole gun control thing, we're going to have left, less terrorism if we take away everyone's guns is is so ridiculous.
0: Right. Can we take everyone's cars? I don't think so. Take everyone's (laughs) knives like the Ohio State guy. It is pretty amazing. So the way to get around this and to stay safe if you're going to be in crowds and then you have to start thinking about whether you really want to be in crowds. But if you're going to be in crowds is to be situationally aware. Right. Situational awareness. I've talked about this a gazillion times. Basically is. Knowing what's going on in your surroundings, that might be hazardous to your health, right? And so if you're situationally aware, it just pays to be in a state of what I call yellow alert. Yellow alert is a relaxed but vigilant observation of basically things that are going on around you. Uh, and when an action or behavior doesn't match the surroundings, doesn't match the situation, well, you identify it as An anomaly, something not normal that shouldn't be happening at that place in time. You know that that's what you have to look out for. So let's say you have a man walking in the mall in Mm -hmm. August, you know, hottest part of the year. He's wearing a winter jacket. He looks all puffy. Well, you know, he might be hiding something underneath there. And so that's a guy you might not want to walk right next to.
2: That makes sense. That's an anomaly. And
0: that's right. If a vehicle's moving erratically, leaves the normal pattern of traffic, that's an anomaly and that requires even more rapid action to get out of the way. Yeah. And it's just like knowing simple things like the location of exits in a mall, the, a theater, uh, that's good policy. Maybe no knowing where a fire alarm is, uh, just having a heightened awareness. That is now just as important in an outdoor setting or a popular public area Mm -hmm. than anything else than being concerned in any kind of public venue, a concert hall like in Paris where there were so many killed. That's a big issue. Now, the vehicular terrorist is going to have a target, and that target is going to be the crowds of people on the street, nearest the roadway. Right. Their ob- Easiest to get to. Right. Their objective is mass casualties. And if you're a pedestrian that's near the curb, you're going to bear, guess what, the brunt of this attack. So what you might consider doing is staying in the fringe of a crowd away from the road to give yourself the most options. You may not want to be pinned against a wall. You might want to keep an eye out for alleyways or side streets that you might be able to easily easily access if times are
2: critical. right? I mean, you've got to make quick decisions.
0: Exactly. Now, if you're in the center of a crowd, let's say you're walking in the middle of Times Square, you're in the center of the crowd, that could be a problem because the masses of people around you... If they're all going in one direction, it's going to be very hard for you to go in any other direction that your good judgment tells you to go in. You're going to be dictated as to where you can move simply by the crowds. Cities and towns can protect their citizens better by constructing certain types of barriers that are called bollards. These bollards stop vehicles from entering pedestrian areas. They used to be made out of old cannons, pretty solid. You could not get through them, and they... Are closer together than the width perhaps of the most common width of of a truck let's say Now you can see these today outside of a lot of government buildings Airport terminals all sorts of places even Target I think has them Expanding their use to areas that attract crowds would be an important consideration for the future, believe me. I'll admit the likelihood you'll be in the path of a terrorist using a vehicle or any other weapon is going to be very small. Panic isn't the answer, but you know what? These are troubled times. The more situationally aware you are, the safer you'll be. Hey, you know, we did not wish everybody a Happy New Year. Happy New Year! Happy New Year Yay. to everybody. 2017 is right around the We're corner. We're still here. And we are still here in 2017. <laughs> it's a miracle. I have not there yet. We have to make we have to live through the next couple of days or so. <laughs> All right, and,
2: well, we'll just stay indoors and shut the windows. That's <laughs> uh, right. And
0: so as long as the world doesn't end before uh, January 1st, uh, we are going to be Here in 2017 We wish you a happy and a healthy 2017 And some people are going to be doing a little drinking I would think on New Year's Eve A lot of people
2: have parties to go to
0: That's right We don't have
2: a party to go to To. So we'll just be home
0: Isn't that sad
2: I might have one glass of champagne But I am not going to have a hangover
0: I'm going to drink myself under the table I
2: highly doubt it You never drink
0: For those folks out
2: there listening to him
0: Boy, that's a rumor And anyone who's ever gone to dinner
2: with us Knows that It's True.
0: <laughs> that is terrible. I, what's wrong with me? I got to loosen up a and little. You
2: should loosen up just a little bit. Don't see. Don't overdo it because if you overdo it, you might get
0: a hangover. Oh. And of course, you know we talk about survival, and we're going to tell you now how to survive a hangover. Now, a hangover is a group of symptoms that occur in a lot of people after a night of drinking. Believe it or not, twenty-three percent of people, regardless of how much they drink, don't get hangovers. Lucky them. Uh, hangovers You
2: mean wait? No matter how much yep. they drink. Yeah,
0: well, like, I guess within normal, like they, a
2: twenty-four pack of beer. Let's
0: put it this way: they re, they they report they've never had a hang, hangover. So for what it's worth, but a lot of people do. Matter of fact, twenty-nine percent of college students report losing school time for hangover recovery. Time to make a call, parents. I would think, uh, and close to ten percent <laughs> of American workers report having gone to work with a hangover, and uh, that's not counting all the lost work days millions of them every year because of that now despite thousands of people having hangovers over thousands of years if you think about it
2: oh yeah wine's been around they they found uh casts of of wine and and even beer from eons ago
0: that's right exactly but we don't know really or at least the mechanism of a hangover, how it happens, really isn't that well understood. It's thought to be involved with uh, dehydration, sleep disturbances, lack of food intake, low blood sugar, and the presence of certain byproducts of alcohol in the body, like what we call cogeners or congeners. These are essentially metabolites or byproducts of alcohol in the body that become things like formaldehyde that becomes like uh things like formic acid which is the chemical in ant bites
2: i'm not sure i want formaldehyde in my body
0: uh, these things are more toxic than the I... alcohol itself it's yeah. not
2: until i'm dead absolutely
0: <laughs> now everybody's hangover is a little bit different but you'll see one of many symptoms you have headaches uh sensitivity to light and sound tremors dizziness uh general sensation of feeling ill Irritability, depression, difficulty concentrating, nausea and vomiting, stomach discomfort. Wow, it is just amazing all the stuff that can happen. And the symptoms begin almost like an alcohol withdrawal. When the alcohol level has dropped down to zero, usually the morning after a bender, they can last uh, several hours. The, the hangover symptoms Or it can last several days in the worst cases And you know the funny thing is that doctors Don't really spend a lot of time researching hangover remedies Simply because they consider hangovers As an effective deterrent To <laughs> chronic alcoholism How about that? Now the, there is no certain cure Obviously for hangovers other than time But there are a lot of treatments And the some of these have good basis and scientific facts. Some of them, well, not so much. So I want you to consider these options are, are pretty definite that are, are good, good ideas if you wind up feeling bad after a night of drinking. One, you need to drink some fluids. You're dehydrated, so get some water, some juice, non-alcoholic, please, uh, and maybe some Gatorade, something that has some electrolytes in it that will help you recover faster. Now, don't drink things like orange juice. It's too acidic and it can uh, cause an issue with an upset stomach. Some people believe that tomato juice is good because it has fructose in it, and that may help you metabolize the alcohol more quickly. But it's pretty acidic, too. Very so acidic. If, so if you really have a pretty bad seasick feeling, you probably should not use that. Now, solid food might not be a bad thing, too. You want to get up your that low uh, blood sugar that you have. So... Maybe some dry toast, some chicken broth, some crackers. Uh, some people uh, believe strongly adding a little peanut butter might be helpful. Things that are relatively mild are good. Also, Pepto-Bismol is not a bad idea to deal with that stomach upset as well.
2: Use the chewables, though. That liquid right. is nasty on the stomach.
0: Now, if you can get a little bit of sleep, that's probably a good thing. You want to sleep through the majority of those alcohol uh, alcoholic alcoholic uh and post alcohol withdrawal hangover yeah. <laughs> symptoms that would be important if you have a headache you should take ibuprofen something like that now ibuprofen can irritate your stomach so just be aware Tylenol might be a better choice in some cases if you're a really heavy drinker though Tylenol can cause liver problems so something to think about but that's not it there are a lot of different other remedies that people mm-hmm. believe uh, in very strongly. And here's, here's a few of them. Bananas. Bananas, they say, eat a banana. It's a good source of potassium, something you might be low on after a night of drinking. Ginger root. Good idea. Time-honored natural remedy for nausea and vomiting. Uh, and ginger ale is easy to get. And of course, ginger tea might even be better so that's an option. Honey and lemon. If you have hot honey and lemon and alcohol, you have a hot toddy. So skip the alcohol. Just have the honey and lemon. And that will certainly boost your low blood sugar.
2: Or just add the honey and lemon to some ginger tea. They, oh, and you got three of them. Wow, all together. That's
0: actually a pretty good idea. Of course, an ice pack for the headache might be good, or really just a cold wet cloth, uh, wet washcloth might be. Even better. Now, some people believe that vitamin B complex, vitamin B six or B twelve, vitamin C uh, might be useful. And I have to say that there's not a great deal of hard scientific data that backs that up. However, however, a dose of a vitamin supplement after a hangover probably isn't going to hurt you. So I have no problems with your giving that a shot. Now, the thing with coffee. Now, if you have a hangover. Everybody wants to get some coffee in them, right, when they have a hangover.
2: Well, I mean, it's logical that you think, well, I'm sluggish, so some caffeine is going to give me a, a boost.
0: boost. And it might it might indeed. It might even help uh, headache symptoms in some people. But remember, coffee is a dehydrating type of drink, and it is bad from that standpoint. Remember, you are starting off Dehydrated. Dehydrate. So that is a problem. The other
2: problem with coffee is it's very acidic. Yes. Very acidic. Yes. And talk about irritating your already irritated stomach.
0: So figure that.
2: Not really a good thing.
0: Now, some people consider oxygen good. If you have an oxygen in a canister, they believe that that will help. A lot of people swear by it, as a matter of fact. But there's not a lot of evidence that supports that it's going to make a big difference with a hangover uh exercise uh, i don't some people believe in exercising <laughs> i mean if you can't move after a night of drinking how can you exercise <laughs> yeah, I'm, just, so.
2: I'm just thinking about like those animal house shots of all the the, the movie clips of all the guys just laying around
0: <laughs> oh <laughs> well, they what they're trying ha- to do hardly
2: lift their head up
0: i guess the theory is that you're sweating out the toxins but if you do decide to exert yourself and do that between you and me Hydrate yourself really well beforehand. Keep it to really low impact activities, or you might be worse off than you were before. Now, prairie oysters. Prairie oyster is V8 juice. It is disgusting. (laughs) V8 juice, Worcestershire sauce, Tabasco, a little salt, pepper, add a raw egg, and you mix it all together. That's a prairie Uh, oyster. Long thought to be a cure for a hangover. However, there's a little hard data that really confirms that. Probably will increase your sugar a little bit. You know, eating uncooked eggs, however, I don't know, carries a risk for some infections. Now, cooked eggs might help. They have cysteine, which is a substance that might help detoxify you. Some people do really believe in that. But still, you might be better off with just a sports drink, something like Gatorade, to get the sugar hydration and electrolytes that you
2: also need. the cooked eggs might be good on toast
0: there you go oh, on dry, uh, dry yes, toast, dry yeah. toast yes. there you go uh, a little hair of the dog that's just another word for alcohol believe it or not would work because a hangover is essentially a form of alcohol withdrawal right but getting your drink okay,
2: on me out again
0: getting your drink on bad idea in the long run oh. it'll make you an alcoholic very bad now real quick prevention eat before you drink don't be on an empty stomach. Have some solid food in you. Beer has calories, but it's not solid food. I want you to have some solid food in you. Mix, have have one alcoholic drink, then one non-alcoholic drink. Mix and match them so that you wind up having a little less, a little bit less alcohol in your system. That'll help your hangover as well. Dark liquors like bourbon, for example, have more congeners. They have more of those metabolites that are bad for you yeah the formaldehyde so, right so therefore stick with things like vodka uh, clear tequila uh, rum things like gin. that gin would also be a good choice uh, also champagne because it has bubbles actually what makes you absorb alcohol more quickly that's a big issue don't drink champagne.
2: Well, it's New Year's Eve. Everyone drinks no, champagne. No. <laughs> no champagne for you.
0: And head it off at the pass by taking two aspirin, a full glass of water before you get to bed that might head off that migraine at the pass. Now, the truth of the matter is, you should abstain from drinking alcohol. Do I have to say why? If you don't want to hang over, don't drink. Be the designated driver Great instead. Great
2: idea, honey.
0: Hey, we have a guest today, a good friend of ours, R.P. Rugiero. the a post-apocalyptic fiction author, and he's got a very popular trilogy called the Brushfire Plague Trilogy, and he's going to be talking with us here today. He lives in Colorado with his wife and two sons, and he loves to write about all sorts of post-apocalyptic Issues when he is not hanging out in the outdoors, which is his favorite thing to do He brings almost two decades of years of experience in group dynamics to good use in writing Brushfire Plague It's a novel grounded in neighborhood defense during times of trouble And so, here we go Here's Nurse Amy with her interview of our good friend R.P. Ruggiero
3: Hi, R.P. Are you there?
1: I am definitely here. Thanks for having me on
3: Oh, you are so welcome. Well, you know what? Happy New Year. It is almost 2017. How did that happen?
1: I know. 2016 just went by (laughs) super fast, so I can't believe it.
3: It's like warp speed. We blink our eyes and bam, it's just gone. It's crazy. Well, I hope you have a happy New Year. Are you guys going to do anything New Year's Eve?
1: Uh we are just uh we're getting together with some uh friends actually from our church and uh uh we'll hang out, play some play some games and yeah, it should be fun.
3: Aww. Oh, Oh As you get awesome.
1: older though, it becomes you know, less uh you know, less party scene. <laughs> I, that's less a long party time. Ago for me. You know, <laughs> it's
3: funny, uh Dr. Bones Joe has been doing almost constant interviews for the past three days. He wrote um a little article on how to prevent, and treat hangovers. And so the radio shows have just been crazy. He had just five this morning, actually, starting at 7.42 a.m. Um, just on that subject, because, of course, everyone except for us, you and us, go out drinking.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's a popular topic this time of year. <laughs> and
3: they want to know what to do on, about hangovers. It's hilarious. Um, but, yes, we, we will personally be avoiding that by not drinking in the first place.
1: <laughs> the best solution ever.
3: It's poison. It's funny. My daughter, totally off track from our interview, but my daughter who's 16, or what when she was 16, I, I said, you know, you do you drink? I did the whole mom thing. Do you drink alcohol? She's like, Mom, that's poison. I was like, great answer. I love it. <laughs> that's a smart child so i was like all right but are you doing anything else no mom i i don't i'm like okay
1: (laughs) so everyone out there
3: alcohol is poison to many organs in your body so try to not drink all right so let's talk about our subject today your books um can you give us a brief interview of the general premise of the brush fire plague trilogy because we now have three books
1: Absolutely, yeah. So, Brushfire Plague Retribution uh, just came out uh, about two months ago. It's the it is the conclusion of the Brushfire uh, Plague trilogy, which I'm very excited about. Um, and unlike some other works out there, this definitely concludes. It's a it's a trilogy that does finish up and wraps up most of the most of the loose ends. Uh, but yeah, the the basic premise of of, of Brushfire Plague. Um, i mean it's it is a survival sort of action packed uh novel series and it the basic scenario is a, a is a fast moving and fairly deadly plague breaks out uh it's set set in portland oregon and then moves moves out from there as the following books take it but uh so you know the core of the story is uh cooper adams who's the the protagonist uh you know is confronted with this situation, and you know a lot of it is him organizing his family and his his neighbors to defend themselves as as sort of society begins to unravel around them based on based on this plague
3: um mm-hmm.
1: and then in the course of about midway through the through the first book uh you know he he starts figuring out there's just a lot more of this story and it really also weaves in a pretty good uh you know, mystery or, you know, something you know, might call it a conspiracy uh, of how this all developed. Um, so it's, but it's, at, at its core, it's really a story about your sort of an everyman kind of character. He's a, he's a traveling salesman uh, when this, when this breaks out. And it's really about him struggling to survive, you know, with his neighbors. Um, you know, there's, there's a great relationship with him and his son and how his, his 12, uh, 12-year-old son uh, is, is really dealing with, um, you know, all the stuff happening all around him and an and attempt to hold on to his humanity. Uh, but that's sort of the basic outline of the story, and I think most people have really found it to be kind of fast-moving, uh, pretty action-packed, and a lot of good survival lessons kind of built in as you go.
3: Oh, that's cool. Um, I think everyone should read it by the way, <laughs> now, Thank you. what motivated you to write this trilogy?
1: Well, a couple things. Um, you know I sort of got really into preparing uh, really in the wake of Hurricane uh, Katrina uh, back in two thousand and five for you know I think everybody has their own wake up call. Uh, And that was it for me. Uh, So that's when I really started to down this road. And, you know, in in about 07, 08, uh, when I really started looking at writing in a serious way, um, uh, you know, I'd always read apocalyptic fiction. And two things really stuck with me or, or struck me about it. One was very few of them really covered sort of the unraveling of, you know, society. So most of your sort of iconic you know, apocalyptic fiction really are often set after the fact. And I've always, was always interested since I was a kid of like, okay, how could society unravel? What would that look like? So I wanted to focus on that. So for example, you know, Brushfire Plague, the first book really just covers the first couple of weeks after this, this breakout of of the pandemic. Um, And then the second thing I wanted to do uh, to combine the writing with, you know, uh, being a prepper uh, was, so you know writing a a a novel that could really bring people in um so in other words um you know not something that's going to focus on the latest gear and gadgets but something that can also uh show people who aren't yet there the value of of being prepared so i really wanted to do those two right. things was first and foremost write a good novel uh but also that it could be something that you know both uh, to pull new folks in i think there's a few things interwoven throughout the books that uh, even seasoned uh, uh, folks will get something out of, but uh, there is I think it does have a special value to for your relatives' friends who aren 't quite into it um, that this can be a great you know tool to sort of help them pull in and see the value of what we all do.
3: Well, I totally agree, so basically that 's what you hope your readers take away is a sense of a reason to maybe be prepared that many different things could happen was Was that your goal?
1: That's definitely the uh, major goal. I mean, again, I think the first, first and foremost for me was write something that that's a good read. Uh, you know, unlike some other stuff out there, mine does not read like a, a survival manual dressed up as, as a novel. It really is a novel, <laughs> first and foremost. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. Right. Those I've read them; they, they have value. Uh, they're they're enjoyable in a different way. But um, yeah, so first and foremost, it's a good story. You know, I think uh, you know the characters are not sort of cardboard cutouts, and so you know, it really is to pull people in. Um, but definitely, that was a big piece of it. Is to just to, that it also can get people to see the value of it. Uh, I'd say the second thing that I had um, is, you know, there's a huge focus in in the brushfire plague trilogy around the sort of interpersonal dynamics, and, and so it's less about gear and equipment, uh, and more about how do you really. Uh, sort of deal with people uh, in in a sort of collapse scenario. I think that's a thing that often gets overlooked uh, or it sometimes gets presented in a pretty simplistic way. And I try to go a little deeper around all those dynamics of keeping folks um, together and focused and, and just all the different things you're going to confront in that kind of scenario.
3: Right. Well, the genre has definitely become a lot crowded, a lot more crowded Um, And exactly what you're saying is a lot of these people who are writing these books are more, um, what do you say, gear centric. And so, excuse me, it's more like, okay, I purchased an American first aid kit and then I bought a Coleman stove and, you know, and and they're sort of throwing out brand names and it's more about the gear. And it seems like yours is a little more about relationships is, is this what sets Brushfire Plague apart from from most other books, really?
1: I think I think it's one of the things, absolutely. Um, you know that again, I think the, the 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 people dynamic, how to how to how to you know lead in those moments, I think are really critical. Mm-hmm. And so I do dive a lot into that. Um, you know, I think some other things that set it apart, I think anyway, um, is again the characters. Um, I think there's you know. A little more depth than I think uh, uh, than is out there, uh, you know, on, on, on uh, in a lot of these other works out there, because mm-hmm. um, I really, you know, th- those two go hand in hand, you know, to really get in the complexity of human relationships and human dynamics in a very stressful survival-based situation. You know, you also have to have characters that evolve and change, and sometimes surprise you. And as a writer, I mean, that's I think every writer goes through this, but um, certainly for me, is, is you know as I was writing, you know, the characters, you know, they, they really do take on a life of their own. Um, and you know, they sometimes go directions you didn't necessarily even envision when you started. Um, so I would definitely say those are a couple of things that I think set it apart, uh, you know, in the genre.
3: Well, let's turn to the, the third in the trilogy. You just published Brushfire plague retribution. Where does this one take us? Um, from the first two books, where, where does it go?
1: Yeah, it's, it, it really is a culmination, right? Uh, of, of two things I would say, or at least two, th- or at least two things. One is, um, just where the, where, where the, where the the story goes in terms of the conspiracy, uh, that they've really unearthed it kind of, again, midway through the first book, they start to unravel it. And so by the third, by brushfire plague retribution, Uh, You know, Cooper Adams and his sort of his, you know, his friends and and, and all that are really, they're really starting to connect with others. uh, And it really kind of, you know, honestly culminates in a budding rebellion, if you will, against those responsible for the outbreak of the Brushfire Plague. Um, so I would say that's that's a big thread. Um, the other one is is just again with the characters. Uh, there's a is continuing and I would say again a culmination of what's going on with uh, Cooper and his son, whose name is Jake. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's 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 a a thread throughout of of Cooper really trying to help his son sort of hold on to some vestige of his humanity. You know, as all this. Violence and, and you know, uh, uh, lots of awful things are happening around them, and I would say that it goes deeper into that in, in, in uh, brushfire plague retribution as well. Um, and then there's just kind of a culmination with some of the other characters as well. But in terms of the main story arc, it really is uh, it, it lands in a place where they're they are beginning to uh, you know reach out to a number of other people and really starting uh, you know essentially rebellion against and trying to hold those accountable. Uh, for what they did
3: now as you wrote this trilogy most people when they write books they have sort of a plan of where they want things to go how they want the characters to develop an outline what surprised you the most in terms of a plot or character change that you really didn't envision at first
1: I would there's yeah there's a bunch of them I would say different, different you know different places it went I think the the one that stands out to me the most is, is really with the son um you know uh Jake is a little bit younger uh than than my children uh are um so really how difficult that struggle is uh with the son and how sort of dark in in some pretty dark places he goes uh and and Cooper trying to pull him back out of at least some of that um that was probably the biggest surprise in terms of writing it uh, you know initially I, I think i envisioned jake was going to be just sort of a son who was sort of there for uh the you know the, the you know so cooper could be a family guy basically but he you know that character really developed uh probably the the most uh the most deeply as as i went through uh writing the three different books so that that's the one that really stands out the most there's others but that's the that's the deepest one
3: Cool. Now you did talk about Hurricane Katrina, but what really made you become a prepper?
1: I think fundamentally, when I saw that unfold, it really, you know, at least again, I was what I was probably in my early, early midish 30s at that point, mm-hmm. and for me, it was, you know, that was really the first time for me I had to confront the fact that if there's a situation that's devastating, either locally or nationally or even globally, that you really have to be able to depend upon yourself uh your family so probably some close friends uh that you you know that you can just get thrown into that situation i think that was the biggest wake up call for me uh in that whole that whole scenario just watching it play out and you know it was kind of limited to a few weeks um, and it was localized, uh, but that that was just a really eye opening moment for me. That you know the, you can't count on the cavalry is going to be coming over the hill, so to <laughs> speak, to to bail you out. Um, and you know you really have to be ready to to take care of yourself, your family, etc. For you know an extended period of time. Uh, that was that's that's really what it was for me.
3: Absolutely. Now your kids are teenage boys. Now, what is your greatest hope for them?
1: Well, I always answer that question as in in saying, <laughs> "I hope they never have to live in a brush for our plague world." Um, but, but, yeah, because <laughs> it's not a lot of fun. Um, but at the same time, you know, if you know, my biggest hope beyond that, obviously, is that you know, if they're confronted with it, they're they they're prepared. Uh, you know, I've tried really hard. Again, going back to the sort of people side of this, uh, obviously, we have some supplies and gear and all the rest of it, but uh it's about being resilient um, and, you know, just helping raise them in a way that, you know, if you encounter challenges, no matter what they are, you know, with a plan uh, and with resilience, you can get through. And I think that life lesson really applies to, you know, anything they're going to confront in life. But uh, in terms of being prepared and survival, you know, that's the most important thing I've really hoped for them that they've really uh, taken those things on. I think they have. Uh, but then, again, that would be the biggest hope. If they're confronted with it, they'll they'll get through it, um, and it, with obviously at least some measure uh, of their humanity intact. Because um, that's always you know, you know a huge thing, a huge thing that I think is going to come up in that kind of situation.
3: Well, let me ask you this: Have your kids read the books?
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> they were some of my first readers uh, from Aww. the beginning. Um, you, you know, yeah. When when I first wrote Brushfire Plague. Uh-huh. You know, my oldest was probably around Jake's age. He was probably twelve, thirteen, I think. Um, uh-huh. And so my younger one was uh, about nine or ten. Um, uh-huh. But they've always been big readers. Uh, so yeah, they read them. Uh, they actually gave me a lot of great feedback. So uh, oh, good. Yeah, yeah. The best. The, now, did they, think, did they give?
3: It, I'm sorry. Did they give you feedback about the the character, the the teenager? Well, or, the biggest quest, <laughs> The
1: biggest question. <laughs> is, uh, from, uh, from both of them actually was, is Jake uh-huh. me? And I, of course, oh, had, to do no. the, uh, had to get the father <laughs> answer and say, well, it's a little bit based on you guys, but it's not exactly you. <laughs> so <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, one, with the kids, I mean, the, the, as a writer, the best feedback was, uh, coming home one time and, uh, you know, uh, my youngest one actually was on the couch reading. He was like reading it and it was the second or third time he'd read it. Um, uh-huh. You know, the first time they read it, you figure, oh, they're doing it because I'm their dad, right? But, <laughs> right. Uh, so when I Force. saw them reading like it a Force. second and third time – exactly. So, you know, <laughs> having them read it multiple times, just like they'd read, you know, Harry Potter and, Aww. you know, Hunger Games multiple times and others. I was like, okay, I've written something that is is Aww. pretty de- is pretty decent. So that was fun.
3: No, that's awesome. I can't say the same about my kids. I don't think they've read the survival medicine handbook.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but they will have it on hand when they need it, though, right?
3: Oh, they better. (laughs) They better not call me and say, hey, what do I do? No, you read that book. (laughs) Um, So you've written these three books. This is obviously the conclusion, which is sad for people. Um, What are your future plans as a writer now?
1: Yeah, I think it's going to go a couple different directions. I've definitely thought about uh, continuing it, in, continuing in that world uh, with more of a focus, actually, on the sun. Maybe, maybe running it out three or five years into the future. I have thought a lot about, you know, you sort of create this world, and really, through all the first three, uh, you know, through the trilogy, it really only goes into about three months or so into the, the from from sort of the outbreak. So, I have thought about you know, created this world to be interested in imagine what it looks like three or five years out. Uh, -hmm. and then putting the characters, I think, and again, with a focus on the sun, um, is one of the, one of the directions I might, might go. The second one is, uh, I've thought about doing some nonfiction, uh, on a concept that, uh, for lack of a better word, I call survival leadership, which you mm-hmm. know, which is just, again, what we've been talking about, which is, again, how do you motivate? How do you f- keep people focused? How do you inspire people? How do you keep people together? How do you deal with the human dynamics that I think would uh, you know absolutely be a huge, huge factor in uh, a survival scenario uh, and doing sort of a non-fictional uh, sort of a, a primer on on those sort of concepts and principles, um, so it'll—I'll pr- probably go one of those two directions in the next, you know, in the coming, you know, months and a couple years out.
3: Well, I'm sure the fans are trying to encourage you to do the chapters. Nobody wants a show to end. Nobody wants a book to end, especially if you're attached to it. We want these characters to continue on. And what what does happen in the future? Maybe you might want to do a combination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no,
1: that's, uh, it's not a bad <laughs> idea. Uh, there's, you know, it doesn't have to be either, or it could be a both and. Yeah, sure. exactly. Yeah, don't. No, don't, that's absolutely right. I'll just pick one, you never know.
3: Um, I would like our listeners to hear where they can find out more about Brushfire Plague, the trilogy, and also where they can get copies of it.
1: Well, thankfully, in the electronic age, that's all real easy. So uh, brushfireplague.com is, you know, a place where there's reviews and synopsises and all that uh, of of the of the trilogy. Uh, in terms of, uh, you know, if you just Google Brushfire Plague, you'll also get a lot of, you know, reviews that have been done uh, over the last several years of, of the various uh various mm-hmm. books. In terms of uh, picking it up or purchasing it, uh, again, it's available paperback. It's available on the Kindle. Uh, so again, that's all. It would all be at Amazon.com and just obviously search Brushfire Plague. Um, it's also available in the Nook, so people can also go to Barnes & Noble, which is bn.com, and either get it through them on paperback or for the Nook reader. Uh, and then with, uh, people probably already know this, but with uh, Kindle's technology, you can um, mm-hmm. really read it on any reader if you just get their, their app or download sure. their I know, reading I interface. Know. Um, so those are the basic ways to get it. Uh, certainly going down to your local bookstore and demanding they carry Brushfire Plague would be great as well. There you go. Uh, <laughs> they they <laughs> love it. to get that I feedback. Um, but yeah. those are the those are the easiest ways to pick it up. Uh, but, again, for simplicity's sake, uh, Brushfireplague.com is another place with all the links and information as well.
3: Now, what was the year? This is a, a, a bonus question for you. You didn't expect this one what year was that first book published?
1: 2012.
3: Twelve. Wow. wow. Yeah. So this has taken up four years of your life. Wow. Well, and you were writing it, but how long did it take you to write the first book?
1: Yeah, the first one, you know, start to finish was a year and a half uh, from just uh, writing it and getting it to a place where you know, I could reach out to publishers. Uh, right. uh, obviously, we're um, published with uh, Prepper Press. Um, Prepper Press. But yeah, right. it took a year and a half to write the first one. The second one took about a year, and this last one actually took uh, a couple years. So, uh, wow. but, yeah, it's been a great uh, been a great journey. It's it's I love getting the the. I should probably just uh, one of the best. Uh, emails I got from reader feedback. I mean, I love watch you know reading the reviews on Amazon and getting emails. Uh-huh. But one of the best ones was from a reader who said, "I love your work, love the characters, and now I'm going to go out and buy some canned beans." <laughs>
3: so
1: <laughs> I wrote back and I said, "Well, there's more, more. That's a good, great first step. Uh, and the, you know, we've been in. There was some back and forth about you know second, third, and fourth steps, but." Uh, it was a great – it was one of those great moments because, you know, it was like, okay, that's uh, someone who, exactly what I was hoping for. Someone who really liked <laughs> reading it and loved it but also took a good lesson away from it. So
3: Right. Started on yeah. the path of being prepared. And you know what? That first can of beans is, is a lot of people's first step. Unfortunately, a box of ammo is the first step for a lot of people. But you know what? Ammo isn't going to feed you people. So. Oh, uh,
1: yeah. No, I – you know, we, you know, <laughs> I am very simpatico with you guys that, uh, there's way too much focus on that side. That's an, um definitely an important yeah. side. And obviously, Brechefart Plague has a lot of action with, uh, where guns figure prominently. But, uh, yeah, you gotta, you gotta do everything. Um, and you know, it's important people start where you, start where you can and where you are, but. Uh, people need to not just look at the weapons side. That's again important, but you've got to do food. You got to do medicine, yeah. communications. I mean, there's a whole bunch of pieces, as you know. Um, but I, I actually love. Uh, I follow you guys obviously everywhere, and I always like how you bring a, a, a sort of a holistic focus to uh, you know what we need to do.
3: It's it's just a balance. That's all it is. And, and believe me, I'm the last person that would say no one should have ammo. I I, mm-hmm. I do not want. The government to know how much ammo I actually have, <laughs> so we're not going to speak of that. Um, but I do have a lot of food and certainly a lot of medical supplies. <laughs>
1: absolutely, absolutely. It's a
3: balance, folks. You gotta, you know, look at it all.
1: Well, so, what, you um, guys, what you guys cover is, I think, uh, honestly, is is part is a part that's that that is you know often neglected. I think it's usually third or fourth <laughs> on people's list and. In a lot of ways, yeah. that's just not right because uh, people. I, I don't think everybody's thought through, and I, and I touch on this briefly in brushfire plague, but
3: right. you know, what's
1: what the you know what's going to happen in that kind of scenario with disease and just wound okay. infection, uh, diarrhea, you know, yeah, diarrhea killed yeah. more
3: people in the Civil War. Food yeah, exactly. and waterborne illnesses, folks. Exactly. There's that's what it is. It's, 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 it's like my husband says. There's going to be less uh, okay corral gunshots, and there's going to be people dying from diarrhea. I mean, it, no, I know it sounds exactly gross, right. but it's the truth.
1: No, absolutely. So
3: grab that's your Gatorade exactly right. and your Imodium, people.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's right.
3: Oh my goodness. Well, it has been a joy talking to you once again. I'm I'm really excited that you're you finished this third book, and people have the chance to have a conclusion but i do secretly wish for a future for these characters so you know when you get the time and you have the chance to write, write at least a few more chapters at a time i know there's a lot of people out there that would be very appreciative and i want to wish you and your family a wonderful happy healthy 2017 rp
1: well, thank you for having me on and keep doing what you guys are doing and, and same to you uh, for 2017. Uh, oh, I you all the best.
3: Well, well, thank you for everything you do and we really appreciate it. And you take care of yourself. Thanks again for being on. Great, thank you. You're welcome.
0: Hey, that's all the time we have for this week. We wish you a wonderful 2017. We hope that you'll keep listening to the Survival Medicine Hour.
2: With Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy.
0: (laughs) See you next time.